We're going to start a new series here this morning. We're going to be looking at something that was coming to me as uh, I don't know how long ago it was, some time ago. I was beginning to hear some, some things and just Christians' conversations about things, about things they were praying for. And it dawned on me, or this kind of came up in my spirit on this, is that we're not quite understanding who has what and what we're supposed to pray for, how we're supposed to pray it. Because I was listening to some of the things that we, we sometimes say in prayer, and it seems like we're getting a little confused on exactly who has what. And so just to uh, kind of a fun introduction into this, I asked Daryl to get this video ready. This is something you've all probably seen. Maybe you haven't, but um, we're, only, we're not going to run through the whole thing. We're just going to run through a few, few parts of this, but uh, we'll encourage you to, to uh, listen. There's about three minutes, uh, three and a half minutes or so, I think is what it told him to go ahead. Go ahead, Daryl, run that one. Will you keep quiet? Sebastian! Excuse me, please. Sebastian, please. Don't interrupt my act. Sebastian! Oh, Mr. Borders, I, I didn't see the lights there. I forgot about them. What in the world are you doing? Why, why interrupt my act like this? Well, look, Mr. Borders, I, I mean, after all, if you're in a ballpark, they always sell peanuts and popcorns and things like that. I know that, Sebastian, but not in front of them. I, I beg, I beg your pardon, friend. Ladies and please. gentlemen, and also the children, will you excuse me for a minute, please? Thank you. What do you want to do? Look, Mr. Borders... Right. What are you doing? I love baseball. Well, we all love baseball. When we get to St. Louis, will you tell me the guys' names on the team so I go to see them in that St. Louis ballpark? I'll be able to know those fellas. Well, now, is it all right, folks? All right. Excuse me, I, all want, right. I want to find out the fellas' names. As long as it's okay I'm, with the I'm audience. I'm about baseball. Uh, will you stand still? Pick up your hat. Go pick up your hat. Okay. Now, look. Then you'll go and peddle your popcorn and don't interrupt the act anymore? Yes, sir. All right. But you know, strange may seem they give ball players nowadays very peculiar names. Funny names? Nicknames, pet not, names. Not as funny as my name, Sebastian Dinwiddie. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Funnier than that? Oh, absolutely. Whee! Yes. Now, on the St. Louis team, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I want you to tell me the names of the fellas on the St. Louis I'm, team. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Do you know the fellas' names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean, the fellas' name on first base. Who? The fellow playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? Well, what are you asking me for? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first base. Who is on first? Have you got a first baseman on first? Certainly. Then who's playing first? Absolutely. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. Why not? The man's entitled to it. Who is? Yes. So who gets it? Why shouldn't he? Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Who's white? Yes. Mm. After all, the man earns it. Who does? Absolutely. Well, all I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? Oh, no, no. What is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? That's what I'm trying to find out. Well, don't change the players. I'm not changing nobody. Take it easy. What's the guy's name on first base? What's the guy's name on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. We're not talking about him. How did I get on third base? You mentioned his name. If I mention a third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No, who's playing first? Stay off of first, will you? Well, what do you want me to do? Now, what's the guy's name on third base? Well, what's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. There I go, back on third again. Well, I can't change their names. 
Will you please stay on third base, Mr. Broadhurst? Please. Now, what is it you want to know? What is the fella's name on third base? What is the fella's name on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third, third base. <laughs> you got an outfield? Oh, sure. St. Louis has got a oh, good outfield? Absolutely. The left fielder's name. Why? I don't know. I just thought I'd ask you. Well, I just thought I'd tell you. Then tell me who's playing left field. Who is playing first? Stay out of the infield! Don't mention their names out here. I want to know what's the fellow's name in left field. What is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. Third base. Oh, take it easy. Well, as you know, that can go on for quite some time. (laughs) Some confusion is going on there, and they're both talking different languages. And because they're both talking different languages, they're getting the wrong information. And they're not quite understanding the whole picture of what's going on because of the, the wordplay that we're, we're having going on there. Well, the things, there are things that we need in this life in order for us to get, on, get through it. And there's confusion with the, with the church body as to who has it. We're not always sure. And sometimes we pray and we ask God for things and we're asking God for things that God does not have. And when we ask God for things that God does not have to provide us, then the prayer isn't answered and our prayers become frustrated. We have to find out what it, who it is that has the thing that we need. Now, how many of you have ever seen these uh, people that go around and they teach you how to demand things from the devil? Well, go through the Word of God. In fact, if you, if you think about this, when you get home today, sit down and read the Bible from Genesis all the way over to Revelation. You can do that this afternoon. Read through the whole thing. And you just find a, a place in there where God says the devil has something and you need to get it from him. Now, the Bible is a pretty good-sized book. If God does not teach us anywhere in the Bible that the devil has something that you want and you need to go over there and get it, then why are we praying that way? So you see there's confusion in the body of Christ as to who has what or who's on first. We have some confusion going on. And we're asking the wrong things. And, and we're, we're not even asking right. You know, if, if, a, if a little three-year-old has something that you want, how many of you know you ask that three-year-old differently than you would ask your spouse? You ask your spouse differently than you would ask somebody at work. They may all have the same object that you need, but you're going to ask them all differently because there's different people and there's different relationships you have with them. In the Word of God... In Mark chapter 11, verse 24, it says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. So it seems here that if we pray for things, the key ingredient here is our belief. So we entitled this series, Having Faith in Your Prayers. Because many times, folks, Christians are praying prayers they have no faith in but they feel like they ought to pray it or they feel for the wrong reasons that they actually have faith in what they're praying. So we're going to go over some of these principles. Let's go back a few verses over to chapter 
11, studying chapter 11, verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now I had to take a, a whole lot out of your outline. Here today just wasn't enough room for it. But I had this in there initially. This is just something we repeated. I, I think I gave it to you about six years ago. So write this down if you want. Think about it. Do whatever you want to in this. But as doubts in your head do not prevent you from having what you say, so too belief in your head will not bring it about. As doubts in your head do not prevent you from having what you say, so too belief in your head will not bring it about. Jesus said in verse 23, Assuredly I say to you, Whoever says this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt where? In his heart. Doesn't say anything about doubt in your head. People, we've, we've confused doubt in our heart and doubt in our head. We've confused doubt or belief in our heart and belief in our head. And some people who believe something in their head don't believe it in their heart and they can't tell the difference. So too doubts in your heart will prevent you from having what you say and belief in your heart will bring it about. Brother Hagen had told this to us. If the devil can keep you in the arena of reason, he can defeat you every time. If you keep him in the arena of faith, you will defeat him every time. So what the devil wants to try and do is pull you into the realm of reason because he knows that in the realm of faith, he cannot defeat you. So our goal is to stay in the area of faith. Stay in the arena of faith. Now I put this in your outline for you. Many have heard the words so much on a topic and think they are in faith because of the word in them. We can hear the topic of faith. We can hear the topic of belief. We can hear the topic of healing. We can hear the topic of finances so much that when we hear it, we begin to think I'm in faith on that when actually we are not. Or maybe we were in faith and came back out of it. In Luke chapter 8, verse 24, And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? Indicating that at one time they had it. At one time they were in a place of faith, but for some reason, this particular storm, this particular situation took them to a place where they were no longer in that faith. Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now this is your outline too. Others think they have heart faith because of their confession. I go around, I have a good confession. I say the right things. I am healed. I am blessed. God has prospered me. I have this, or I have that. And we have the right confession. Because I have the right confession, I begin to think that I'm in heart faith. And we haven't understood what heart faith is. And so because we have substituted this, and I think that I have it, but I actually don't. Here in the summertime, most of us have lawnmowers. Have you ever thought in your head that you had a full tank of gas to put in the lawnmower. And as you're going around, either in the tractor or the push mower, you're taking it around the yard, 
and going and the, the thing runs out of gas. And you go out to the shed, you go out to the garage, you go out to the place where that can is, thinking that it's full and it's empty. But all the while you thought it was full. And you had confidence when that lawnmower ran out of gas, well, I'll just go over and get some more. And now you don't have any. So now you have to run out to the store and get some gas and leave the lawnmower right where it is. You weren't planning on that. You weren't planning on having to do that. It's kind of frustrating, kind of aggravating. You thought it was full. There's a lot of Christians who think they're in heart faith, they're in head faith, and it's why it's not working. Here's another, another place. Mark chapter 9, verse 17. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples, and they cast it out. But they could not. Now imagine this. If someone had brought you a young lad who was having these conditions. Look at what it says he had. Whenever it seizes him, verse 18, it throws him down. Can you imagine having a young boy in front of you who all of a sudden is thrown down? That would, that would shock some of us. He foams at the mouth. Anybody ever see somebody foam at the mouth? <laughs> some people in the medical profession. <laughs> all right, there we go. Foams and mash, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. Now, the closest I ever heard somebody telling this story was uh, Brother Lester Sumrall when he came down to school when we were there and he was telling us one of the situations where he encountered a demon spirit. I believe it was the first time he ever encountered a demon spirit in a foreign country to this magnitude. He says demon spirits in this country are nothing. The foreign countries where they uh, have much more reign and much more control over things. But he was in a church service, in the church service, and as the... Uh, Worship started. Worship service started. There was a lady who was on the front row. And as soon as the worship service started, she got down off her chair and started slithering around the front like a snake. How many of you that could throw you a little bit? Being in church, that might just alter you a little bit. Slithering in the front like a snake and began to uh, foam at the mouth. And he said a green, frothy foam came out of her mouth. And she was slithering around the whole time worship was going on, slithering around here in the front of the church. And he thought, surely the ushers are not going to stand for this. They're going to take care of this. And the ushers just stood there and no one did a thing. And so he began to think, well, surely the worship leader won't let this continue on. The worship leader is going to deal with this. And uh, the worship leader never dealt with it. The whole time worship was going on, this woman is in the front slithering like a snake, green frothy foam coming out of her mouth. He has not encountered anything like this before. If you ever heard Lester Summerall write about some things, he seems to be pretty expert on this, but this is one of his earlier encounters and hadn't really run into this before. And so he said, uh, well, surely when the pastor comes up to introduce me as the guest speaker, he will deal with this situation. And so worship's ended. The pastor came up to introduce. This is Lester Summerall. He's coming to, to minister. And as he came up, he became very clear that this pastor was not dealing with this woman who was in the front slithering like a snake, green, frothy foam coming out of her mouth. And so he said, well, God, you're going to have to do something about it because I can't preach with that kind of stuff going on. And God said, I'm not doing anything about it. You need to. Hmm. He didn't know what to do. He'd never encountered this before. This wasn't in Bible school training. <laughs> Dealing with people slithering like snakes, growing your frothy foam coming out of their mouth. And so um, 
he came up to, to speak and he, he knew if he does not deal with this situation in the front, nothing is going to happen as far as an impact on the church that he was at. So as he came on up, he said the Spirit of God, boldness came upon him and he stood up there and he said, sit up there right now. He commanded her to sit up there in the, in the chair. She, she stopped slithering around like a snake. The green frothy foam disappeared and she sat rigid like a dead person in the front row. And he went on and preached his message. But the whole time he's talking with the guy, he says, God, I haven't dealt with that yet. I have to deal with that in order for this to have any kind of effect in this. And so he went on and he preached the whole message. And then he went over to the, to the woman and he said, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And after, I don't remember what had gone on. Remember, it was about 30 years ago I heard this story. <laughs> he, um, uh, some, some kind of things went on anyway. It wasn't just a, a real clean thing, but the, the demon spirit came out. And you could tell she was free. Her eyes were different. Her expression was different. And she came down to the altar and gave her life to God. And he said after that happened, he said a rush of people came from the audience to come down and give their life to God. But you see, we sometimes expect God to do some things that's not in God's hands to do. And we don't always realize what is on the inside of us to deal with the situations that we're in so we just stay in a place and we get frustrated. And that's not what we need to, to do. But here it is. This person brings some of the disciples. Now, they didn't run away and hide. They went and, in the name of Jesus, come out. And he wasn't listening. That demon spirit was not listening. They've already been in a place where they have cast out demon spirits. This is not new to them. They're not novices at casting out demon spirits. They already cast out demon spirits out of many. Came back to Jesus and said, Wow, even the demons are subject to us by your name. Even the demons. So they've already done this. Already walked through this. This wasn't new. Verse 19, He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. See, many times, folks, in prayer, we like to throw everything off on God. It's up to you. But Jesus doesn't do that here. He throws it back on him. If you can believe, all things are possible. See, many times we'll go to God in prayer and we'll say something along this lines. If you can do anything, have compassion on me. We'll say that to God. God, if there's anything you can do in this situation, have compassion on me. But here's what Jesus said. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirits, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Now it doesn't stop there. We're going to go to Matthew's gospel, chapter 17. Verse 19, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, 
If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be moved, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind, this unbelief, does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Remember, what was the problem? What did Jesus say was the answer to their question? Why could we not cast it out? He said, because of your unbelief, not because you hadn't prayed and fasted. It was because of your unbelief. So they did not even realize that they were in a place of unbelief. If they couldn't, if they were in a spot and they, with the master teacher, if they did not realize that they were in unbelief, how easy is it for us to get to a place where we think we're in faith? We do the things that look like faith, but actually we're in unbelief. Put this in your outline for you. It seems people either have no action and wait on God. That's one thing. Well, it's just up to His timing. Well, whatever the Lord wills. Or they think that their actions are demonstrations of true heart faith. Actions are good, folks, but it does not mean that you have true heart faith. The disciples, did they not step forward and cast out the demon? In the name of Jesus, come out. And it didn't happen. And Jesus said, it's because of your unbelief. It is not as much about the actions as the attitude. We've got to get our attitude right. Sometimes, folks, our attitude has become so wrong that we cannot discern between doubt, unbelief, and faith. Can't figure it out. Got to get our attitude right. Therefore, I say to you, verse 24, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Pondering on this verse, I wrote this in your outline for you. Much of how Christians ask for what they want or need is based on the assumption that God has it. Most of our prayers in the Christian circle, we make prayers to God with the understanding that whatever it is that we are praying for, that God has. But I want you to tell you that it's not all in God's hands. What you need or may want, is generally in one of three places. The first of those places is if it's with God. God is one of the first places. There are some things that God has. And if we ask for the things that God has, then God will probably give it. We've got to get into His Word, find out what His Word said. Here's, a, here's one thing that's in the Word of God in James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, so there's a need there, isn't it? I realize that I lack wisdom. I do not have the wisdom that I need in this situation. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, there's the asking, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Is there anything in that verse that leads you to the understanding that you need to beg or plead or talk God into this? No. Don't you get the idea from this verse that God is looking for? A place to pour out this wisdom to? What's he waiting for? Someone to ask. The Word of God tells us, you have not because you ask not. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So all we really need, if God has the thing that we want, 
is to find out what the Word says. Does the Bible say He wants you to have it? So put it to you this way. Does the Word of God say that God has it? Does the Word of God say that God wants to give it? And if God has it, and God wants to give it, then all that is left is I need to ask for it and then receive it. That's all that needs to go on, right? I just need to ask for it and receive it. That's it. Now, I have a pen in my pocket. So if some, how many people have been in church and somebody asked you for a pen? Somebody asked you for a pen. If I was over here and I was sitting next to Les and Les says, uh, Steve, do you have a pen I can use? And I say, I do. And if I handed him the pen, go ahead and take it. And then Les would say, Steve, do you have a pen I can use? I say, Les, I just gave you my pen. And if he says, do you have a pen I can use? Why? Well, I only had one. I, I gave it to you. You have the pen now. And if he keeps asking for the pen, what's going to happen? You get, I, I gave you the pen. My attitude is going to start changing, isn't it? I went from a willing giver to, yo, you got it. I'm going to say, give me my pen back. It can change. You see, if somebody has something that you want, you got to, well, first of all, you got to figure out, they got it. You'll ask the question, do you have a pen? Do you have, have you been walking around the streets? Do you have a dollar? Do you have a, I need bus fare. I need a cup of coffee. Do you have a dollar? They ask for just something small. They ask, do you have it? Do you, do you have a dollar? And if I say yes, what do they say? Can you... Give me a dollar. Can you loan me a dollar? The less things like this because they first all have to determine if you have it. In the Word of God, the Word of God tells us what things God has. And then once we determine that God has it and that God wants to give it, all I need to do is ask and receive. But if God is a willing giver, I shouldn't have to ask more than once, right? If somebody stops you in the corner and they want a dollar, most of us go into skeptic mode. What do you want that dollar for? You're going to buy some booze? You're going to buy something you shouldn't be buying? Do you really need this dollar? How many of you believe all the signs held by the people that are out on the side of the road at the intersections, primarily around the city? Not exclusively to, but primarily around the city. And they got the you know, homeless vet can you spare some money? And they'll, you know, they'll do some things that they tug on you. But we all know that there are people who dress up like a homeless person. And they wear old shoes and old clothes. And they hold signs because people will give them money. And they can make a better living out on the street doing that sort of stuff than they can going and getting a job. We know that. So we, we meet it with skepticism. So even though they say, do you have a dollar? And I do have a dollar. We're not willing to give it. It's not that I'm not willing to part with a dollar. It's that I'm not sure that this is necessarily the place I want to, I want to put this. And so, you know, we're sitting there in the intersection. We look straight ahead. I'm not looking at you. Because <laughs> I'm not willing. But God is willing. And if God says in his word, this is what I have, and this is what I want to give. We just looked at one verse here. 
it talks about wisdom. God has wisdom. He says He's willing to give it. If you need it, I'm willing to give it. Just ask. Well, that's one place that the thing could be. It could be in the hand of God. If the Bible says He has it and wants to give it, then we don't have to talk Him into it. So why do we spend time in prayer talking God into giving us the thing? Because first off, I didn't do my homework to find out that first off, does God have it? And secondly, is God willing to give it? You see, wisdom, we all got it down. Well, the Word of God says that if I need wisdom, I'm to come to, to God, who has all kinds of wisdom, and that He's willing to give it to me liberally. All I need to do is receive it. So, I'll ask God for wisdom. Now, as we get on this series, we're going to be spending some more time on this. We're going to find out. If I were to do a quiz and say, give you a blank piece of paper and say, write down all the things that God has that He's willing to give you. How many of you might be a little bit challenged to come up with that at the top of your head? But yet, we'll go into prayer without ever going into the Word of God. If I'm not sure what to write down on that piece of paper now, how am I going to be better informed when I go into prayer? So this is the first place that things could be, and this is where most people assume that they are, is in the hands of God. So if the Bible says He has it and wants to give it, then we don't have to talk Him into it. I just need to receive it. Just receive it. That's it. If I go over to Brother Les and say, here's the pen you asked for. He needs to reach out and take it and receive it. And once he has it, he needs to acknowledge that I got it. And see, that's the second place where things are. The second place where things can be. If it is with you, this is what you need to do. It could, the thing you need may be with God and the thing you need may already be with you. Do you know that many times people, Christians, spend time praying, asking God for things that He has already given them? Now, He's told us in His Word, wisdom is one that if I need it, I need to ask Him for it. It's not a one-time thing. Here's wisdom. Whenever you need it, just use it. That's not, not the, in that category. Apparently, if I need wisdom, I don't have wisdom on a thing. I need to ask God, and God will give to me liberally. But if I already have a thing, if God has already given it to me, then I need to just receive it. Just receive it. Here's another example of this. If you're in the area of forgiveness, if you need forgiveness, how are you supposed to get it? Where's God real clear? Ask. Ask for forgiveness for whatever it is that's going on. And you will receive forgiveness. That's another thing that's in the hands of God. Once I have received forgiveness, if I sin, it's not a thing that I just go on and say, well, I already have forgiveness, so I'm just going to go on. No. I confess my sins and ask for forgiveness. That's something that He has. But there are some things that God has given to us. And they are in my possession. And they are for me to use. When... When Peter came to the beautiful gate and he saw the lame man that was laying there, he says to the lame man, silver and gold I don't have because the man had looked upon him expecting to receive something. Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give. He recognized that the healing power of God was something that he had. God had given it to him. And therefore, he could go out and give it. When Jesus was on the earth and he healed people, he didn't ask God for healing for each one. 
He drew off the power that was on the inside of him. Healing power is given and we draw from it to help other, other people, to minister to other people. That's something that, that God has given you. If I already have it, I'm wasting time asking God for it. So if I spend time praying for something that I already have, God's already given it to me. What's God going to say? Didn't you read in my word? I've already given you that. If I go to God and I, I wake up in the morning and I don't feel particularly good, I feel like I'm unsaved. And the devil comes and he whispers in my ear, Steve, you're not saved. Look at the things you've been doing. Look at the things you've been thinking. You're not acting like a saved person. You're not saved. And I begin to think that. I said, oh, God, I'm not saved. God, would you save me? Would you give me your salvation? What's God going to say? I already did that. You already asked for salvation. It's already yours. We don't need to get saved again. We can get filled. We can keep being filled. That's fine. But we don't need to get saved again. But how many people do you know? The devil's got them in the, this uh, line of thinking that um, you need to get saved. Yeah, I need to get saved. Then they're going to ask God for something that they already have. They already got it. But they're going to ask God for the thing. So if it's already with you, if God's already given it to you, know what the Word has said. Know what the Word has said. If you feel like a sinner, you can simply say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I don't ask for the righteousness of Christ to be given to me. I have already been granted it. He's already given it to me. It's mine. Don't go over there asking God for it. Well, I just don't feel like I'm righteous. I just don't feel like I'm forgiven of all my sins. I just feel like I'm unsaved. doesn't matter how you feel. If God has already given it to you, then live like it's true. So first off, know from the Word of God what has come up. When I have a need, I need to go to the Word of God. If I can't think of something in the Word of God, go to it directly or ask another brother or sister. What's the Bible say about this? And find out what the Word says. Is it something that God has? Or is it something that He's already given to me when I got born again? Or when whatever situation went on? It's already mine. Most of the things that we have are given to us at salvation. And so once we are saved, am I asking God to give me something He has already given to me when I got born again? This has already been given to me. Salvation was already given to me. A mansion in heaven is already being built for me. These are things that are done already. I don't have to ask God for it. Oh God, I, you know, when I get to heaven, I just need a place to live. I don't need to ask God for that. Most of us don't waste time on that because we realize the Word of God says that He's gone to prepare a place for us. We just thank God for it. But the devil can get you into the, some other things thinking that what is mine is not. So we'll spend some time on that as the series goes on to find out what are those things in the Word of God that He's already given me. Because if I were to ask you to make out a list on this, what things has God already given you that are yours now and you don't need to ask Him for? They're at your disposal. 
how much could you write down on that piece of paper? So know what the Word has said and live like it's true. Live, I'm just going to live like I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm just going to live like that's true. I'm just going to live like I am saved because that's what the Word of God said. Just live like it's true. There's no asking for what you have already been given. Don't keep asking for what you have already been given. God has given it to you. It is yours. Glory to God. Walk in it. Just walk in it. So here's the first thing. There are things that I need that God has. There are things that I need that have already been given to me. There's one more category. This one, I think, has confused a lot of Christians on it. The last place it could be is with others. There are things that I need that are not in the hands of God. There are things that I need that are not in my hands. They are in the hands of other people. If it's not in God's hands, it's in other people's hands, it's going to change how I ask. Because I'm not coming to God and saying, God, I need this, oh, I need this, oh, I need, I need this. If you need a job, does God have jobs? No. God doesn't have jobs. Do you already have the job? No, that's why I'm looking for a job. I don't have a job. But you see, sometimes we get off in this wrong teaching, and, and this, or the wrong assumption, I should say, and what we think is, well, I have a job. And I walk around and I confess, I have a job. I have a job. I have a job. I have a car. I have a car. I have a car. I have a car. I have a wife. I have a husband. <laughs> right? But those things are not necessarily mine. Has God said, thou shalt all have a car? Has God even said, you shall all have a spouse? No. Hasn't even said that. But you see, if it's in the hands of other people, it changes things. I can't spend my time talking to God about what someone else has. They have it. I don't. But I want it. And I'll tell you what, we get into all kinds of trouble with this area. Because we're not understanding it. And we sit here in times of prayer and we ask God for things that God doesn't have to give us. They are not, they are not His. They are not ours, but we want them. I want a job. Doesn't God desire that you have a job? He wants you to have it, but He doesn't have it to give you. So who has the job? Other people. Other people have the job. If you walked into the, the employer's office and say, I see you have a job. Yes, we do. I need a job. So I'm thanking God right now that you are giving me this job. How's that going to be met? I'm going to say, you're a nut. Get out of here. We don't need you in this place. Go. That's not going to go over real well. But that's, we'll have that kind of a confession. And we think in order for me to be in faith, I have to have this kind of a confession that says, well, I have a job. I have a better job. I have a car. I have a spouse. We told you before, people going down in, in, in Ramah. I never saw it until then. haven't really seen it too much since then. But down there, people get into this ultra-faith thing and they'd see some pretty young lady across the hall. 
And they say, I thank God she is going to be my wife. Well, see, first off, she's not God's to give. She's not. So what do you have to do in order to get that girl to agree to either go out with you, eventually marry you, whatever it might be? You have to be, first off, everybody think about this, you have to be pleasant. Too many Christians have lost the art of how to be pleasant. You have to be pleasant. If you want to woo that person over to, to, to decide that I'm going to spend the evening going out to dinner with you, going out to the movies with you, whatever it might be, then you have to be nice. You got to dress nice. You got to get showered, cleaned up. You got to look good. I've heard more, more parents talk about this when... And, you know, we've, we've been through this ourselves. But as soon, because usually boys are not too concerned about cleanliness until the day comes. And they decide, oh, you know what? That's a girl. <laughs> and they want that girl to take interest in them. And so suddenly, you know, they're using their money to go out and buy soap because they like the smell of of the soap there instead of the one that mom and dad bought. They go out and buy shampoo because they like what this shampoo advertises to do over the shampoo that you, you have at home. They begin to go out and they buy, begin to buy their own clothes. Why? Because they want to look a certain way in the, to attract these, the, the, the girl that they're trying to get. They try and be pleasant. If you want a, a boss, an employer, to give you a job, you need first off for that boss or employer to enjoy you. If they don't enjoy you, they're not going to give you the job. But I prayed and believed God that I would have favor. So, you did unfavorable things. We can't do th- This is an area that has caused Christians much confusion because we have not discerned between those things that belong to God and those things that belong to other people. And if it belongs to another person, God does not steal it from them or take it from them, or in any way usurp it from them. He has given them control over their body. He has given them control, have free will. He has given them control over their money. You have control over your money. We taught on this a long time ago. Haven't done it for, for a long time. But you are not a steward of your money. You are not a steward. You are the owner. I tell you what, Christians need to get a hold of that. Well, I'm being a good steward of God's money. That's false. That is not true. If it was all God's money, then you couldn't really tithe. The way that you tithe is you bring a tenth of what is yours and turn it over to God. (laughs) That's what tithing is. If it all belonged to God, then you just should bring it all. But it doesn't belong to God. It belongs to you. So you take it out of your ownership and put it into his. You are not a steward of your money. You may become a steward of someone else's money. But you are not a steward of your money. You are not a steward of your time. You own it. You've got to understand that there are things that I own. The things that God has given me is put in my hands. And there are things that I want him to put in my hands. But there are things that are already in your hands. If it's already in your hands, then you are the, not the steward. You are the owner. God has given it to you.
So sometimes other people have something that we want. If other people say that you, uh, you, you're trying to get a loan for a house or a car and you're, you're praying, well, God, I, I need to get this loan. I just confess right now that I have that loan. Well, what are you basing that on? Where's the scripture that says that when you need a loan, that such and such person is going to give it to you? That isn't there. You see, if you want a loan from the world, you've got to find out what does the world look at. And we all know credit score is one of those things. So there's some things you can do to improve your credit score. Get your credit score up to a higher level. So that they look upon that and they say, ah, this is a favorable person to, to give this to. So pay your bills. This is not a godly thing to do. Pay your bills. Yeah, pay your bills on time. It's a good thing to do. So if you do these particular things, they're going to look on you and say, well, you've got a credit worthiness about you. Now, just because someone is willing to give you credit doesn't mean you should take it. How many get letters in the mail all the time? You have been pre-approved for a new credit card. $10,000 spending limit. $20,000 spending limit. Oh, the things I can do with $20,000. 26.3% interest rate. See, if something is in the hands of other people then I need to pray differently than if it's in the hands of God. And if it's not in the hands of God, God's already given it to me, then I need to act accordingly. I can't be praying for the things God has already given me. I can't be asking for things that belong to someone else as if they belong to God. I've got to have clarity on these things. So if it belongs to someone else, what I need is favor from them. That's certainly one thing that we, we need to have. But there's other things that are involved in that as well. And we'll spend some time and, and look at these particular things so that we can know what it is that we need to do. Because if you have a need, you want to see that need met. You want to see that need taken care of. If you need a job, then there are some things that you can pray along those lines. But you've got to understand when you're praying, God does not have the job. It's not His to give. If you want to buy a car off somebody and you've been focusing in on a particular car, it's not God's car to give. It's not your car to confess. It belongs to someone else. And here's a real fun one. Doesn't the Word of God say, don't covet your neighbor's... Fill in the blank. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's car. Well, folks, until you buy that car from that person, until you buy that thing that they have, it's still theirs, right? So as long as it's theirs, if the, 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 uh, the enemy can certainly pull us into a place where we begin to covet what is someone else's. I'm claiming that as mine. I can see that as mine. That is my car. That is my job. And I almost pronounce a curse on anyone else who would take that thing. I have fallen into covetousness. You see, the devil sold me on the idea that's the only car that will work for you. That's the only job that's out there for you. Mm -mm. Don't buy into that. And even if that person decides to disobey, if God is saying that is a good job for you, that's a job that's going to work for you, Go after that job. 
and that person decides to disobey and not listen to God and give you that job. Not listen to the favor that God's trying to lead them into, but take them in another direction. Even if that happens, what does God say? That's all right. We'll go get another one. Doesn't mean that God didn't want you to have it. Doesn't mean that you missed it, that God said that's a good direction to go. It means that somebody who had it decided not to give it. Don't we find that in the Word of God that there are many times the people who had something decided not to give it? And what did God do? Depending on the situation, it went, went different ways. But don't fall into this thing where you start coveting it. Where you start lusting after that particular thing. Oh, I got to have that job. I got to have that car. Oh, that car. Oh, that car. Oh, I got to have that car. That is the best car. Oh, that is the best car for the best price. I, I got to have that car. See, that's wrong. But it's not God's to give. Don't ask God for something that's not His to give. Don't try and talk God into something that isn't His to give you in the first place. Find out, is this something that belongs to God? Is this something that already belongs to me? Or is this something that belongs to someone else? And if it's something that belongs to someone else, folks, there's different rules that are applied. We're going to spend some time on all these and look at that. In verse uh, 25, And whatever you stand praying... If you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you and your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So he immediately goes into one of the hindrances, and there's a few places in the Word of God where it ties the hindrance of unforgiveness with prayer. So it seemed like that's a fairly common one. That's the one he's trying to bring us in line with. That prayer... When we're going to ask things for God, if I have unforgiveness, that's going to be a hindrance between me and God. That's for the things we would ask God for. That's not everything, but that's for the things that we ask God for. Those things that I would be asking God for, if I have unforgiveness, that's going to be a hindrance. Now, we've talked about this before, just to give you a real quick review. Unforgiveness is not the same thing as not trusting someone. See, sometimes we jumble all in. I think the, the enemy likes to jumble all these things in because if he can jumble unforgiveness and trust, put them all together in the same thing, he gets people to believe if you don't trust them, you haven't forgiven them. And that's wrong. Just because you forgave them doesn't mean that you have to trust them again. Trust is earned. Put it to you this way. You're supposed to forgive as God forgives, right? When we miss it with God and God forgives us, does he trust us? Do you think it's a part of God's position just to automatically trust His children? Do you trust yours? Did you trust them when they were three? With certain things you would, huh? But not everything. You begin to, you know, as they get older, you would trust them with more things, but you knew better than to trust a three-year-old with a piece of equipment that was pretty elaborate. Because you knew that they don't know what that thing is, and they don't know how to treat it. So I'm not going to put this in their care. You know, some people will say, oh, you're going to mark them for their life because you're, you're not trusting them. They don't know I'm not trusting them. I am just not putting this in their hands. It's not something that they can handle just yet. When their kids are growing up, what's the first knife they ever see at their plate setting? 
a butter knife. Why? Because it's not sharp. You do not introduce a child as they grow up and they get to the age where they can handle a butter knife. You do not introduce them to a steak knife. That's not a good idea, is it? We wait until they get older until we put that in. Because we realize if I put this in their hands, they can hurt themselves with it. I'm not trusting them with the steak knife just yet. Well, God knows that uh, He can't trust us with everything. That as we grow and as we mature, He can trust us with other things. He can trust us with different revelation. He can trust us with different abilities or powers in the spirit realm. He can trust us with certain giftings and callings He can put in our life because we have shown ourselves faithful and trustworthy. Until we do that, He can't put those things on us. On us. But it has nothing to do with Him forgiving us. God forgives us, but it doesn't necessarily bring us into a place of trust. Trust is gained through experience. I, don't autom- I may want to trust God, but I don't automatically distrust Him, do I? It's through my experiences where God has come through for me. I've seen the power of God working. I've seen that prayer is changing things. It's through that that I begin to trust Him. It's the same thing, Him with us. So don't let the devil tell you if you don't trust somebody, you haven't forgiven them. That's false. And he is not saying here, if you don't trust someone, you hinder your prayers. He's saying if you don't forgive them. Don't be bitter towards people. As far as it is concerning forgiving, as far as it's on your end to forgive, forgive them. Forgive them. As much as it is on your end of things, forgive them. You can do that. And that's what he's asking you to do. When prayers don't seem to be yielding results, people tend to quit. Well, this isn't working. I'll just quit this thing. This faith stuff, I thought it worked better than this. This doesn't seem to be working for me at all. I just quit this then. Mm-mm. Don't be doing that. You see, the enemy can get you to go in the wrong direction. Ask for the wrong thing. Ask the wrong source. Ask God for things that belong to people. Ask people for things that belong to God. Believe that you just have whatever it is that God says you can ask Him for. And then get you confused and messed up in these areas. It's going to get you discouraged. And you're going to just say, well, i just quit this thing. I mean, praying for favor for people, that doesn't seem to change anything. People didn't give me this. People don't give me that. And um, that's, that's not good. You see, if you go out and you, you act like your, your old, honorary self, then people are not going to have favor with you. You can ask God for favor, but you need to be favorable. You need to be nice. You need to go in there and just be pleasant. Be kind. Speak nice words. Make people like you. You know, you look, at the, you look around at some marriages and the husband and wife never would have talked to each other when they were dating the way they are when they're married. Because first off, the other person would have probably left and never come back. But you see, we've gotten a little comfortable with, with some things. Be careful how we're speaking to each other. You've got to catch, our, catch yourselves. Let's go back over to this. When prayers don't seem to be yielding results, people tend to quit. Don't just quit. Don't just quit. Father God, how am I going to turn this around? 
How am I going to get the, the favor in here? If you're at working at a company and you've been praying for promotion and that promotion is not coming, that means obviously that favor is not there. So what do you need to do? Well, you can pray and ask for favor, but there's also things you need to do. Father God, I pray that right now that you give me some wisdom how I can operate in this company that I would gain favor with the people that are involved in the promotion and the handing out of the races and whatever it might be. Show me what it is that they're looking for. Get wisdom on this. You may even begin to pray, Father God, I pray, show me what it is that I need to do, what I need to, to produce in this area. I was talking to a guy over at the, um, the Wegmans here today. The particular gentleman over there, I've invited him out to church a few times. Every time I'm in there, I, we have a few conversations. We struck up, we struck up one uh, again today, and I was in there. And he was telling me, I asked him, so what is it that you did before you were working here? And Because uh, he said he was forced out early in retirement because the business went down. He said he used to fix x-ray machines. He said he fixed x-rays. He said, but a problem with that is that most of them have gone digital. So now, most of the fixing that you do on an x-ray machine is done with software upgrades or software changes. And it's not hardware. It's not physical stuff. So we went from a staff of about 20 down to a staff of about 3. And there was less work in there. But he said as they were uh, in there, he said uh, he gave me some figures on it. I don't know if they were true figures. He just threw them out there. But he said, if I made $3,000 in a month, they want me to produce 6000 That's the numbers that he gave me. Because we were talking about that. He says a lot of people just don't, uh, they don't understand that you need to make your company more money than they're paying you. And he says, yeah, we had to do that there. They said, I said, well, that's neat that they at least told you a dollar amount, something to shoot for, that you knew what you had to do. To, and so if you were able to go over and above that amount, then they're going to say, this one is more produ- uh, productive than this one is over here. So who's the favor going to go to? Favor is going to go to the one who's producing. We start the football season up now. If you have four running backs on a team, who is going to get the most carries? Real simple. The guy who gets the most yards. If you get five yards average on a carry and the other guy on the team gets three or two or three and a half, who are they going to give the ball to? The guy who's getting five or six or whatever it might be. If you're going to throw the ball to a receiver, you're going to throw the ball to the guy who gets five yards on the catch or you're going to throw the ball to the guy who gets 15 yards per catch. If you're going to throw the ball to a player, are you going to throw the ball to the player who drops three out of ten passes? Or are you going to throw it to the guy who drops one out of 50? So even there, you can see there's things you can do to have favor. If that running back comes up to the coach and said, I'm tired of it. I've been praying for God for favor from you, and I haven't got it. You are resisting the things of God. He says, no, you stink. You keep dropping the ball when we give it to you. You're only producing a couple yards. You're lucky we haven't cut you from the team yet. There are things you can do to have favor with the company that you work for or the company that you intend to work for. So find out what those things are. What is it that you need to do? Nikolai, on a job interview he was going to go to, tell me about the different research he was doing to get ready for the thing, just to plan and prepare. And He's learning how to have favor with the particular company he wants to go to work for. 
What are they looking for? What do they want to do? And he had done all this research and found out all these different things. And so he's going into the interview more prepared. That's the kind of things you want to do. Don't just sit there in your prayer room and say, Father God, I pray for favor. I pray for favor. And then just show up unprepared. That's not going to help you out. If you want to have favor with people, then you've got to do the things that people like. If you want to have favor with God, you've got to do the things that God likes. If you want to do, have favor with people, then you've got to do the things that they like. People who own businesses like to make money. So you've got to find a way to make money for them. You've got to find a way to, to do things that help them in that quest to make money. But don't just get discouraged and quit. Find out what God wants you to do. When prayers don't seem to be yielding results, people tend to first off quit. Secondly, regress. They tend to regress. We tend to go back to what we used to do. Go back to what's comfortable. Traditions. We'll go back to that. You know, if you had somebody who would say the rosary. Maybe some of you grew up in churches where they had the rosary. And you would say the rosary. I've never said the rosary. I just know it exists. I've never gone through it. I've never owned the rosary beads. I don't know the first thing that's involved in praying the rosary. You don't have to come up with me afterwards and educate me on it. I don't care to know on that. But I know that people who were grow up Catholic, who uh, learned these things, that if they begin to step out in the faith principles, the things that the Word of God is teaching, and it's not working, what do they go back to? I go back to the things that, that I had done before. I go back to saying those prayers that were in the prayer book. I go back to saying the, the rosary. I go back to praying to Saint whoever. And we begin to go back to these things that were comfortable. It doesn't matter if they worked or didn't work. We go back to what's comfortable. And, and that's not good. If you were on a diet, and a diet generally means to eat foods that you're not used to and probably don't like. And if you don't feel that that diet is yielding results, what do you do? Go back to what you ate before. That's what we do. Go back to what you ate before. I'm getting tired of doing all this stuff, eating all this celery, salads, vegetables. I want some beef. I want a hamburger with cheese and guacamole and a fried egg right on top there. Yeah. Go back to what's comfortable. We regress. We don't just, we don't just adopt the diet a little bit. No, no. We go all the way back to what we, we did before. That's what we do in the area of prayer. We regress. We go back to what we used to do. So we either quit, regress, or keep at it, hoping that something changes. Well, I just keep going. Maybe something will change. No, if you are asking God for things that belong to other people, you need to change what you're doing. If you're asking God... For things that you already have, you need to change what you're doing. But most people structure their prayer life around the thought that God has everything that I need and I need to talk God into it. And that's why they're having such little success in the area of praying. Now there's a number of possible hindrances here that can keep you. This is one that he's put up here, not forgiving. is certainly a, is a hindrance. Hey, but uh, not believing we need to believe in our heart. We've, we've been believing in our head. I've been thinking that I've been believing. I'm not necessarily 
believe and write. I'm not saying it. We didn't talk about it too much in that verse, but that verse had more to say about saying something than it did about believing. Brother Hagin put it to, to us this way. It's mentioned saying three times for every one time it says believing. I would seem to indicate that the saying part is more important. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come about, he will have what things ever he says. Says. So say what it is that you want to do. Say what it is. Then say, say it to God. He says, speak to the mountain. Say it to the mountain. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes. You got to get rid of that doubt and begin to speak belief. If you've got a situation hasn't been changing, you're either asking the wrong source or you're putting up with doubt. You've got doubt going on and you don't even, you're just like the disciples. How come we couldn't cast it out? Because of your unbelief. So not believing, not saying, we're not asking. I'm not asking God for things because I first off don't understand that He's got it. And that he's willing to give. Maybe I'm trying to talk God into it. Maybe I'm trying to confess it. Maybe I'm going around trying to claim it. Well, this is mine. I got it. I'm, I claim wisdom for the situation. I claim that I had the wisdom of God in this. Well, that's not what it said to do. What did the Bible say to do? Ask God. And after you ask God, you have to go around saying, I claim it. I claim it. I claim that I have it. It's mine. I don't got to do that either. It just says, Ask of God. You just, all we got to do is receive it. Just got to receive it. Lastly, I wrote in mine, my outline anyway, it's not in yours, not going to the right source. We're going to the wrong source. There's some hindrances we can put up. So over the next number of weeks, I don't know how many weeks it'll be, but the next number of weeks, we want to spend some time to look at these, these areas. What is it that God has? and that God is willing to give to me? What is it that is already mine that I just need to act on and be like I have it? I've got that, I've got that pen. I need to just start writing some stuff with it. It's mine. And what kind of things are in the hands of other people? How am I supposed to pray for those? What am I supposed to do to, to get those things? I've been claiming that I have favor. Don't just claim that you have favor. Father God, I thank you that you give me wisdom that you have on how I can act in this situation and be favorable to them. Because doesn't God know them? He does. And He can give you wisdom on how to act in a, in a way that they actually want to give you the business. They actually want to give you the job. They actually want to move things in, on, in this way. They, they want to. You don't have to go around and just confessing faith. Well, Father God, I thank you that I have favor. I thank you that I have this. I thank you that this is going on. We don't have to just do that. We can, we can find other ways. God has, God has ways. God knows all those people that we need to interact with. And if there's a way to get them to relinquish that job and give it to us, if there's a way for them to relinquish that money and buy the thing from us, or sell the thing to us. There's a, then God knows the way to do it. Listen to him. He'll help you gain favor. So that when you're interacting with these people, they say, boy, I'm so glad I met up with you and that we could, uh, we could do business this way. Oh, I'm so glad that we found you. 
You're just such a great candidate for this job. Oh, I'm so glad. And they'll be happy. They will be thrilled to give that to you. But you see, we're not praying right because we're not expecting right. We're thinking that God has jobs to give and God doesn't have the jobs to give. Other people do. God doesn't have cars to sell. Other people have cars to sell. God's not in, in the market to buy cars. Other people are in the market to buy cars. You want to sell your car? You need somebody to look on your car favorably. So you need to go out there and, and make, that, uh, <laughs> make that car favorable. <laughs> Nikolai and Alyssa were going around looking at houses and they would tell me something. I didn't go out to houses look, looking for them. They didn't need me there. When they decided on one, I went and, and uh, took a look at that. But they didn't need me there to look at all these different houses. And so they went in and, oh, I'll tell you what, some of those houses. And people were selling them. They told me about one, if I get this right, there's a hole in one of the upstairs hole in the ceiling with a bucket catching the water that was dripping down. This is, they're selling this house. Selling this house. And uh, there were other ones they had. And animals had gone to the bathroom all over the house. And it smelled like they had. And they're selling. Selling this house. You know, if you want people to, to buy your house, make it, make it pleasant. Make it, uh, make it favorable. If you want people to do things for you, be pleasant. Be favorable. If you want people to give you jobs, be pleasant. Be favorable. Make them on the inside. I want to give this job. I don't know what it is. I am just drawn to this person. You see, God can work on them. But if God's working on them and you're obnoxious, it's not going to help. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever set somebody up for a date? Anybody want to confess to that right now? That you set somebody else up for a date? You had a friend. They were having a hard time finding a date. You had a friend and you got them connected. Just think about this situation. You got a friend. I got a, I got a friend that's called his name Dave, and Dave can't find a date. And I happen to know this gal who's single. I said, Dave, I know this gal who's single. She would, uh, she would like to, to go out to dinner with you. And you, you put them together. You've, you, know, you, kind of, you know both of them. You think, oh, there's a possible match just right here. And so, Dave, you know, I know you have a hard time getting a date. I've, I've got this set up for you over here. All you have to do is show up at the restaurant at 7 o'clock. And, and have this date. And Dave shows up at the restaurant at 7.23. How many of y'all know it's not going good so far? And he shows up in a ratty old t-shirt, cut off jeans, and mismatched socks. Hair's a mess. And he forgets to brush his teeth. How many know we're, we're, we're not doing real well right here? And they get through the dinner and Dave hardly talks at all. And what he does talk, all he wants to talk about is all the things that he's done. Never asked the girl to find out anything about her. And at the end of the dinner, he, uh, he comes and says, well, this was fun. Would you like to do this again? <laughs> and then Dave comes on back to me and I say, Dave, how did the date go? How did the dinner go? How was everything there? Oh, I don't know what you saw in her. I don't know why you put us together. We, we just didn't hit it off. And uh, we're not even going to have a second date. Well, was it my fault? No. Whose fault was it? It was Dave. He was late. He was smelly. He was untidy. He wasn't courteous. 
He didn't do very nice things on the date itself. Dave became unlikable. Even undateable. No wonder that... See, sometimes, folks, this is what we're doing. We're praying to God for favor. But we're doing very unfavorable things. And people don't want to work on your behalf. I've tried to walk my life in this, and there are times I forget it, but I try and walk my life in this principle that if other people have the thing that I want, I want to be very nice to them. But I don't want to be nice to them in such a way that, hey, I'm just trying to get something from you. I want to be nice to them because I generally want to be nice to them. Because you can tell when someone's being nice to you because they want something and someone is being nice to you because they're nice. Learn how to be nice to people. Learn how to speak nice to people. Learn how to dress nice. Learn how to smell nice. Learn how to do the things that cause for favor with people. Don't just pray for favor. Do the things that bring favor to you. Show up on time. Be, be on time. That's a, that's a good thing to do. Don't make them wait for you. Well, I'm waiting. For, I showed up on time. I was even early. And they made me wait for them. Good. That's fine. Be favorable. I've, how many have been to doctor appointments? And you know, they're supposed to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning for the doctor appointment. They take you around 8.20. And we're going to think, well, if you're going to treat me like that, then I'm just not going to be here until 8.15. Let's see, that's the way to fall out of favor with the people that are there. You don't want to fall out of favor because you want them to do some things for you. So you still show up. And then you be kind. I was at the chiropractor office and I had an appointment. I was there early for it. And somebody else, uh, they were running behind. Usually I try and get in early so I'm not running behind. They were running behind and there's this lady. She was not handling it well. She was not handling being, 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 um, them being behind. And the owner of the, the head doctor, the thing, Dr. Uh, Dr. Tammy, she was over to her. And she was very rude to all the staff. Very rude to all the staff. And so she, uh, Dr. Tammy's a very pleasant person. She's a very nice person. And she came over to me and says, um, says I'm sorry that we're running behind. And I'm sorry that we're not able to be on time. But that's no reason to treat my staff the way that you are. She's just very, very nice about it. Just don't treat my staff this way. And I thought, good for you. <laughs> That's good. That's what you got to do. But just be pleasant. Just be kind. And then, you know, that maybe they can't do something for you today because they're behind. But the next time they see you come in, oh, this person, they are so nice to us when we run behind. Let's, uh, let's move them up. Let's take them. Let's do some things for them. People are going to want to do some things. So we're going to look at these principles of, of how we can, can uh, get the things that we need. Does God have it? Do I already have it? Or does somebody else have it? And the principles that are involved in each one of these so we get an idea of how it is that we're supposed to govern our lives and govern ourselves in these situations. I put this in your outline here at the end. If I'm not receiving the things I'm asking, perhaps there is something I am not understanding, but instead most just keep on praying. There might be something, folks, that you're not understanding. If that's the case, don't take an attitude with God. It will not help you. Well, God, I've been on faith. I don't know what you've been doing, but I've been doing my job, and it's about time that you start doing yours. That's not going to help. That's not going to help. See, we're not approaching God as if He is willingly giving, giving to us. And what's gonna, what will happen is we take a, a favorable God who wants to bestow stuff on us and say, hold on a minute. He will pull those things back. 
And don't think that he doesn't because he shows us in his word that he does. So we're going to look at these principles. Hopefully this is a topic of interest to you. If it is, tell me some things. You have some uh, feedback on that. Love to hear it. Let's all stand up. Glory to God. Father, we thank you. Then no matter where the thing is, if we need it, you want to bring it to us. If you've already provided it for us, you want to bring us into a place of understanding that we can walk in it. If you have it, you want to bring us to a place of understanding of how willing you are to give it and how we can receive it. And if it's in the hands of someone else, you want to bring us into how we can pray for that and how we can walk in a way that is favorable in the people desire to give us the thing that we want, the thing that we need, that people will look to put blessings on us because they operate by the principles in your word. No matter where that thing is, you will show us how to bring that thing in. And I thank you, Father, that you do that. We thank you for your word that instructs us and helps us in all these areas that we may be fully equipped with everything that we need to do the work of God and do what you have called us to do. We thank you for it and give you the praise and glory. Thank you, Father, for how much you love us. How you are so willing to give us those things that we need. Glory be to God. Before we go on in this series, with every head bowed, if you're here today and you say, I think I may have been asking the wrong person for the thing that I need. I may be asking God for some things that belong to other people. I may be asking God for some things that belong to me. But I've gotten frustrated, irritated. It's affected my relationship with people. It's affected my relationship with God. But I know the fault is not on God's end. It's on mine. And right here this morning, I repent and ask God's forgiveness for anything that I've done in this area where I have blamed Him wrongly. I repent of that right now. If that describes you or any kind of thing like that, raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Father God, you see the hands that are raised. This is the step we need to take. Ask forgiveness. Come to a place of being restored. And that, Father, you give us your wisdom so that we know how to bring those things to us that we need. Whether they are in the hands of other people, the hands of our God, or something you've already given us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over to God. Before we go, we just have a one praise report. Marguerite said, I thank God for Manny and Max and Mia arriving in Florida safely to join Lamar. I thank God for being able to come to service today. Never take them for granted. You want to read this one? I'm this is the Bacon family praise report. <laughs> Two months ago, we made an offer on a house which was turned down flat. A few weeks later, we made another higher offer with a contingency to sell the contents of their shed for a flat rate. They agreed to sell the contents but wanted an even higher offer for the house. Our flesh was getting frustrated and we began to look at other homes. 
but our spirits never wavered in peace about that particular house. After seeing many scarier and scarier homes, which I can attest to, um, we decided to make our final offer. This time they agreed on the sale price for the house, but were reneging on the agreement for the contents of the shed. This was a long deal. <laughs> the yard is very large, and we knew that we needed uh, we wouldn't have enough money to purchase the things, uh, the machines to take care of the property and whatnot. So after a few weeks of negotiating, all the terms were accepted, and we moved forward for the purchase. Numbers for monthly payment and what to bring to the table were initially discussed, and we knew we had the money. Then three days before settlement, which always seems to happen just before settlement, um, due to a misexplanation, we ended up being $3,700 short on what we had allocated. Um, we were able to shift some things around and found that money. And then finally, this Friday, we purchased our new home and the contents of the shed, which included a John Deere tractor, the riding mower, snowblower, hedge trimmers, rakes, um, shovels, hoses, the, the whole everything that they would need for outside. But on top of that, this couple, I'm going through the walkthrough with them, and I was just bawling because this couple blessed them over and above. They received two bedroom sets the entire bedroom set. Lissy found her, her bedroom the very first time we looked at this. She ran up the steps, and she goes, oh, look at my new bedroom. She climbed under the covers and was quite at home in this bedroom. They left her the entire set. Um, they also left, her, left them three outdoor patio sets, an eight-seater dining room table and chairs, lamps, and more and more. Uh, uh, what's that thing called? A treadmill. I mean, they just left them basically the contents of the house. So God, God was really... I'm blessed, 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 blessed. So praise the Lord for that. Any other praise reports, prayer requests? Nothing? Okay. New dining room table, shiny, glossy dining room table, and with matching uh, hutch that went with it. And um, I just, just a lot of good things. They were, and they're just very, very, so not very nice when they're walking on through and showing them all the different things that were, were going on. And so, uh, we were doing some of those, moving to, moving them in a little bit on the, on the week. So we have some more moving to do. If anyone is available for heavy lifting, <laughs> I'm a little, still a little restricted on how much heavy lifting I'm supposed to be doing. So if anyone can help us out with some of that, let us know. Uh, let them know or myself on the way out. That'd be great. I'm not sure what day they're planning for the big move. Move some stuff already. But that will be me going on. All right. Uh, Wednesday night, we're going to be starting a new series on the Wednesday night service. We're going to be starting the book of Hebrews. We've never really done the book of Hebrews in entirety. So we're going to begin to, to start with that on chapter one here on this Wednesday. We did finish the John the Baptist series. So if you missed any of those, they're all up on the, the web. And if you missed being here last Sunday, unfortunately, the recording didn't uh, come through. So we don't have that to post on the internet. So if you're looking for it, uh, that's why it's not there. And the um, recorder didn't uh, record more than the first 15 minutes of it, so it was, that was all that we had. But um, uh, I don't, no way for us to go back and make up. We don't have any any uh, backup method on the on all that. But uh, Wednesday night we'll, we'll be doing that, and next Sunday we'll be picking up on on this. And then next Sunday too, we have the class on Revelation, picking up uh, into chapter 13 on this one. All right, have a Great rest of the day and bless some folks before you go.